Hallelujah. There are some elements in prayer you need to understand. That will enrich in your prayer life. Most of you, the only prayer you know is tongues speaking. So you wake up in the morning, there's nothing wrong with that. But you see, you can get to a place where now your tongues becomes religious. So now a time comes, you don't even, you must appear and speaking in tongues. Hello, cut the line, foolish boy. That's what your tongues have become now. Your tongues has become part of your reality in the world. You, you have mingled it. So now tongues is common. So you don't even honor God in tongues speaking again. There are elements. Listen, most of you are applying one element in prayer. It's only binding demons. Prayer is first of all not about demons. It's first about God. I have a prophet friend. I influenced him so much in prayer. Just by my life alone. He started praying. He had been praying, but he says, man of God, I want to touch something from you. As I started teaching him, he started listening to my teachings, and all of a sudden, the man started praying. All of a sudden, something happened to his church. And the funny thing, this one is just funny. He went for a crusade to go and do the crusade. At dawn, he was praying. Now he prays 12 hours a day. Because of me, he's on full time now. And he's doing well. He was praying at dawn, around 2 a.m. Kanata. He, he was not praying about witches and wits. He was not praying for a breakthrough. He was just praying, God, let there be a move in this crusade. Rakata. All of a sudden, he heard, boom, on the, wheel, on the uh, ceiling. So his heart beat. And he came outside. When he came, a woman was doing like this. Okay. Okay. And he said, my movie, he said, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And he fell on the roof, holding a broomstick. He, he said for the first time in his life, he knows witches, he has heard that witches fly with broomstick. For the first time, he saw a witch holding a broom. <laughs> he was not praying about witches. Listen, look, see. I, <laughs> listen, for the past 10 years, I don't remember the last time praying about a witch. He was not praying about a witch, oh, but the intensity of the prayer the witch was passing the angels ahead. Get down! The, 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 the radius of the glory in that prayer. See, there are some things, eh? just keep praying. They will, they will stop falling. They will start falling on themselves. So, he said he, was, he has so much confidence now. He was like, Hey, you have seen something. You have seen a reality now. Before he came, he entered one woman, one faithful church member's house. No, no, the mother was a witch. He entered there. The woman fell under the power and started confessing. He has not said anything. <laughs> I don't see this thing. So it's like you are staying in God's presence. You see, when you stay in the kitchen and you come out, there is a scent on the food on your body. When you stay in God's presence, you come out. There is a certain glory. You are your, you, add, you just enter your office. Your boss just sees you. He says, how are you? There's something about you. I can't explain. <laughs> it's the glory. It's the glory. <laughs> there is something radiating. Listen. No prayer is wasted. Never. 
See, Corona has helped us. We have no smart. Now we can pray more. <laughs> you didn't understand this thing. Today I was going to the barbering shop. I just put on a nose mask. Karababa. Nobody see my face. I just see up and down. Karababa sha. Katata. Katata. Karabasha taka. What are you doing with your nose mask? This thing, it is not preventing corona. You know. You know. God gave it to you for shadada. Shadada. Tell someone shadada. Praise God. Are you learning something? So, there are some elements in prayer that you need to add to your prayer life to make it rich. I want to share it with you. You okay? Listen. You'll be blessed. The first element or ingredient that you add to your prayer life to make it fruitful and beautiful is number one, adoration. You'll be shocked. Many Christians don't know this. Listen to me carefully. It has changed me. I don't just start Praying to Kai, Pai. No. You are before a king. Listen carefully. So, what is adoration? Adoration is a demonstration of great love, devotion, and respect. So, this is what actually sets the tone for prayer. I'll tell you why and what adoration can do for you. It reminds the one who prays about the person he's adding. Praise God. See, you need to understand this. God is not only a father. He's God. You know, sometimes we, we understand this word father, so we think we can just enter God's presence and say, God, what's up? What's up here? Listen, when God became your father, he didn't lose his godhood. He's still God. He's still the creator of the universe. So he deserves respect. So when you enter his presence, you don't adore your father, but you adore God as a father. Because he's God. In the New Testament, Paul calls him the God and Father of Jesus Christ. So he did not lose his God, godhood. So he has to be revered through adoration. Are you following this thing? And how do you adore God? It has become a very difficult thing for you. In fact, people don't want to. So people by, bypass all this process, you know. So a lot of Orthodox churches call charismatic Christians, lazy Christians. You know why? Because he said he doesn't want to pray in English so that he can meditate on some things and say it to God in English. So they convert everything to tongues. So he does not want to bother to use scriptures to adore God in words. So he puts everything into tongues. You, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be limited in the riches of your prayer life. We adore God through his attributes. Write it down. We adore God through his attributes. I'm going to share some few things with you, with you uh, and soon I'm going to be teaching on the attributes of God in our church. So you can visit us when we start teaching it. So now, listen carefully. I'm going to help you so that you can be able to adore God well. The attributes of God can be divided into three groups. The first group is called the attribute of ability. This will change you. Listen carefully. Number two, the second division is called the attribute of integrity. And the third attribute is called the attribute of relationship. So now let me explain them. What is the first division? The attribute of what? 
ability, it speaks of God's power. So in the attributes of ability, there are about five of them. Number one is omnipotent. That means God is powerful. Number two, he is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. I'm teaching you how to adore him. Number three, God is omniscient because he knows everything. Number four, he is omni-wise because he is all-wise. And finally, under that, he is sovereign. That means he can do what he pleases. That is called the attributes of God's word, ability. So, how does these attributes relate to me? Listen carefully. God is all-powerful, therefore his power works for me. How? In giving me salvation, in giving me healing and protection. So, how do you adore him? Lord, you are all-powerful and your power got me saved. I adore you. Your power heals me. I adore you. Your power delivers and protects me. I adore you. Now you are using his attributes of omnipotency to adore him. Are you following this thing? The attribute of um, omnipresence, that means he's always with me. He's everywhere, but he's with me. Number three, the attributes of omniscience. He knows everything. That means he knows everything about the man who is praying. So you adore him for that. You may be thinking this is nothing. Actually, it is something to God. God knows who he is, but he wants to be told. He wants to be told. He is only wise. That means what? He's the only wise God. You tell him, Lord, you are the only wise God. That's how you are beginning your prayer. Then he is sovereign. That means he directs my life. Are you following this thing? Then we come to the attributes of integrity. I'll give you a few. In his attributes of integrity, he's number one, holy. He's a holy God. You have to tell him, Lord, you are holy. That's how you are doing him. You are holy. And listen carefully. What you have written down, when you are praying, start looking into it. Prayer requires intelligence. In as much as anybody can pray. God wants prayer to be intelligent. He wants us to grow and graduate. So, before now start, because you are not starting how to adore him. He knows you don't have the vocabs yet. So now what you are learning now, look into it. And read it. God understands. So he says, Lord, you are omnipotent. You are all powerful. Tell him, you are all powerful. You are all knowing. And you know me. You are omniscient. Oh Lord, I adore you. I adore you. You are sovereign and you direct my life. I adore you. So look into it and say it. Until now and say it without looking into it. Am I helping you? There are times when I'm reading the adoration of God. I have to open the Bible and read it. Where is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, what, honor, blessing, and what? And strength. I, I read it to him. Where is the lamb? I read it. Where is the lamb? When I get it, I close it. and go, where is the lamb? It is part of my adoration. Are you following this thing? So, number one, he is holy. Number two, he is truth. Number three, he is righteous. Four, he is just. So, that's the attributes of integrity. You have to tell him, Lord, you are what? You are holy. Lord, you are just. Are you following this thing? Third division, the attributes of relationship. He is love. 
two, he's merciful. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Taught that a lamb rescue the souls of men. Come on, sing it. Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Sing it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Keep meditating. Merciful. Merciful. Merciful Savior. Precious. Come on, sing it. Precious. Sweet Redeemer and friend. You are still adoring him. You are still adoring him. You must be deliberate about it. The source. Come on, go ahead.
so it's attributes of relationship. Number one, his love. Number two, his mercy. Merciful. So we say that to him, that he's merciful. Praise God. Three, he's faithful. Please say to him that he's faithful. Number four, he's unchanging. Five, he's gracious. Six, he's patient. That's why he's patient with you. And seven, he's wrathful. But guess what? Jesus bore the wrath of God. God's, God's wrath is part of his attribute. You can't deny that. A lot of times in the name of grace, people say, God, he's not, he doesn't have anything like wrath. No. We have to teach a balanced gospel. God is wrathful. And his wrath is righteous. It is revealed towards righteousness. But the good news is that anyone that believes Jesus has escaped the wrath of God. And you use that to praise him. Thank him. You have to adore him for his wrath. Praise God. So, you see, in this place of adoration, now, look at what you are saying to him. Many of you, I can bet you have never done this in your life before. To say, God, adore you. Then you start listing the things. I have given you more than 15 things you can say to him as attributes of adoration to him. You must say it consistently every single time. Before you realize, if you can't pray for one hour, just by doing this, 15 minutes is already gone. You'll be shocked. I'm teaching you how to enrich the element of prayer. These are what enriches your prayer life. God wants it. And guess what? One good news about adoring God is that by the time you are saying he is faithful, he is just, he is holy, you yourself will start looking at yourself in him. Because if he's faithful and he promised something and you are getting disappointed, by the time you are saying he's faithful, you are okay. Are you seeing that? By the time you are saying he's merciful, you are fine. By the time you are saying he's unchangeable, that means his promises can change. So, it, at the end of the day, it ministers to you. This evening before I was, I, I was praying, I, I started doing that. I did that for close to one hour. And it was ministering to me at the same time. And I was struck with awe and wonder before him. This is what sets the tone for prayer. Because now you are giving reverence to the one you are before. This is how you gain power in the place of the spirit. Because it's like God he is blessed by you. Next. Oh my goodness. Oh, I love his presence. I wish you were in need to, to know how you. It's heavy. It's heavy on me. Number two, second element of prayer is communion. That's an intimate friendship, an intimate relationship, intimate fellowship. It's like a union, a spiritual bonding. Close friendship is a merging of spirits into the blessed oneness of God. It's an intertwining of courts into a single rope. That's how it means. It's like you join with God. It's an uncommon intimacy. Abraham became so intimate with God so much so that God told him that how can I hide anything seeing that this guy is my friend. It's a second element. When you commune with God, you talk to him about everything. It's like you're a friend. Listen, God, God accepts casual conversations with him. 
A.W. Tozer was so close to God that even when he was going to buy a light bulb for his church, spoke to God and talked to him about it. Can you imagine? Is it necessary? But that's what he did. It's a communion. Number, number three, next one. It's confession. Confession. And our word confession means two things. Number one, it means the open acknowledgement of our faults. You know many Christians are so fake. I'm telling you. You know what you did was not right, but you go to prayer speaking in tongues like you don't know what happened. That's why you are not receiving results in prayer. People are praying, but there's no results. You know why? Because they have become so proud. Because in the name of tongues. So it's an open acknowledgement of our fault. We accept it. I, I was wrong. I, I shouldn't have spoken to my wife that way. So before you pray, you set the tone right. You acknowledge it. Don't pretend. So that's the first level of acknowledgement. We call that confession. Then you apologize to the Holy Spirit. Don't get past it. There are many fake Christians out there. They are not sincere. And I'm telling you, your prayer life, that sincerity will be fake. The second aspect of confession is, you know, the word confession means homologio. Homologio is from two Greek words, homo and logos. Homo means same. Logos means word. So, homologio means saying the same thing to God. In other words, whatever Christ has done, you must say the same thing to him. That's confession. So, it's the confession of Christ. Christ, you shed your blood for my sins. You say to him, I'm justified in Christ. It's also a kind of, it's an aspect of prayer. It enriches your prayer life. You have not even started intercession. You have not started praying for, for your needs. No, no, you are just confessing. You are saying the same thing as that. You know, when a, a, a child begins to his father's language, his father gets excited. The first time my son was saying something I said, I was shocked. I was like, say it again, say it again. He, he replied, I said, ah, say it again. I, I just loved it. He's saying my language. When we say the same thing God has said, it's called confession. God is pleased. For he has said so that we may boldly say. Are you following? Number next, quickly. We call it contrite. Contrition, another word for it to make it easy for you is brokenness or godly sorrow. It's an aspect of prayer. Please, please, you need to get this thing right. Contrition or brokenness is an act of grieving and being truly sorry for one's shortcoming and weakness. It is an aspect of prayer you must never deny if you want to enrich your prayer life. You are broken before God. You grieve sin because it grieves God. We have people, pastors who sleep with their church members and still come and hold a microphone on, they'll come and hold a microphone on this pulpit and they're preaching as if nothing happened. People mess up just like that and they speak in tongues to the same God. As if everything is fine. You are not broken about what you did. I am telling you, your prayer is useless. We must, we, see, anytime you do something, the Holy Spirit convicts you. You must be broken before him. That's how you express humility. Humility is not putting your hands off your back. Because worldly people do it. It's an open brokenness. The Old Testament calls it brokenness. New Testament calls it godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. You are sorrowful by what you did. Praise God. Next is what we call intercession. 
I'm going to treat that as a subject itself under prayer in one of the four glory nights. You, you'll be shocked. You, you, you will grieve after hearing that teaching. So intercession is standing in the gap for others. And I'll shock you. You know today, before most of you that came and were praying, you've not been to all nights like this before. You know why? Because most of the prayer topics are unique. All the prayers you were praying were intercessory prayers. I told them, all the prayer we need to Lord, show your glory. Lord, let something appear. We prayed it. We have been praying it one month ago. We can't pray the same thing here. So what we are praying is intercession prayers. How many, how many pray intercessory prayers? They don't know the power of intercession. What it means to pray for another person. In fact, long prayer is founded in intercession. If you want to pray long, pray for people. It is an aspect of prayer many people have not realized. And I'll tell you why we will pray intercessory prayers more than any other kind of prayer. Because in Job chapter 42, the verse 10, do you know Job was complaining, asking God, saying so many things to God. In Job 42, 10, the Bible says, when Job prayed for his friends, look, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job, when he prayed for his friends, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. If in this all night, all the times are used for intercession and little time is used for ourselves, by the time we go, we are seeing results. I'm telling you, I taught a pastor friend this. My pastor friend, go, he, he taught the same thing in his church. A member did the same thing, prayed for people the whole day. Someone just sent the person money when he has not asked anybody for money. Like, wow, that's powerful. I told you one time, I was a little broke and I was just praying. I prayed over seven hours. I didn't ask God for anything. I was just praying for people. By the time I was done, someone mistakenly sent me 68 guarantees. The person specs me so highly. So I don't deserve that money. So he sent me 68 Ghana cities and I sent a text. I received 68 Ghana. That person can't send me that money. So I said, receive 68 Ghana cities from you. I'm sure it's a mistake. I just wanted you to know. Then he said, oh, man, oh, please, sorry, it's a mistake. In two minutes time, he sent 500 Ghana cities just to pacify me for disgracing me with 68 Ghana. Now, now, I can tell you for a fact that it was not a mistake because how do you dial someone's number you are sending money to without knowing the number you are dialing in this tough world? So, in intercession, God wanted to bless me. And he made someone make a mistake. May people make such mistakes in your life. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, listen, intercession is key. If you are a believer, you don't pray for people, you are in trouble. Your prayer life is weak. You have to pray for your family members. You have to play, pray for your friends. You have to pray for the nation. You have to pray for the president. You know, I saw someone post a funny clip of the, uh, of the president of Ghana when he was dozing off and sleeping. And I'm sure that's a Christian. If you pray for the president, you don't do that. See, because of the way I pray for the president and the vice, I can never make fun of him. I can't. See, prayer makes you disciplined. You don't fool around. I'm telling you. Intercession. My goodness. I pray for people. I have a list of every church member in a church. I pray for them by name. Every single week. Except your name is not inside. I have become so aware of it. I learned it from one book called Prayer by O.A. Halesby. He said, pray for any human being you see in town. That's what changed me. 
I went to the bank last week to go and do some transaction. When I went there, I was now investigating and checking the names. The other, I checked the name. Auntie Fia. I said, Father, bless Auntie Fia. Let her know you. I'm serious. I checked the branch manager. His name was Bodhi. I started praying for the branch manager. The woman who was helping me, I checked her name. Her name was this. I started praying for her. I prayed for her and I said, God, anybody that enters this building, let them know you. Look, look at what I was doing. Today I went to the barbering shop. Whilst the barber was barbering my hair, I was praying for him. And I said, Lord, anybody that enters this shop, let him know you. I've sold my car as a sea, so now I don't drive. So when I bought it, I went for a, a retreat for Monday. I came today. When I was going, the Uber driver that bothered me, I checked his name on the Uber. You check people's name to just make fun of them. I checked his name to pray for him. His name was called Ajimambi. And I said, Lord, let Ajimambi know you. From the time I left Medina to the house, it was Ajimambi I was praying for. I said, Lord, open his heart for the gospel. Open his heart for the gospel. When we are about to land, God says, preach there. Preach to him because his heart is right. When we landed, I overpaid him to get his attention. When I overpaid him, I said, I want to speak to you about Christ. He said, uh -huh. he, he took his time. I preached the gospel. The guy got born again in the car. I took his number. He's coming to church on Sunday. You see, the, you see I'm using intercession. Look, you can use intercession to gain anybody's heart. I am telling you. You pray for everybody you see. Now, anybody, by the time I come, I start remembering them. Whilst I was returning, I was walking from the barbering shop to the house. Any car that passed, I watched his face like this. Lord, touch him. <laughs> so, no one escapes. Nobody escapes under my prayer. One time I woke up, I was going for a prayer walk. I get to a place, I stand in the house. Because I read the book. He said there was a man of God who was praying in people's house. He would come and stand and say, God, may they know you. May they never escape. Baptize them in the name of Jesus. Rakatak. The man of God would do that. Everybody in the area got born again. So me too, when I'm going, I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, make them born again, Lord. Anybody that has not known you here, Lord, save them. I pray anybody supposed to die this week in this house. Lord, as I stand as your priest, I turn it upside down. In the name of Jesus. That's what I was doing. Look, now you forget about time. We don't look at time again. Our body gives time because we feel tired. That's how we watch time. Tuesday, I prayed 17. I wanted to do uh, 24 hours. But after 17 hours, the body was telling me, say, hey, I can't kill myself. <laughs> and I just left myself like that. I slept. I said, why? Christ, did I kill you? Hallelujah. Praise God. I wanted to repeat because last year I prayed 24 hours. I wanted to repeat it again. Then I realized that it's not by might, it's by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Anyway, by these teachings, these teachings we are giving to his power below. One of our members prayed 28 hours. Last two weeks he came to me in the office. He said he prayed 30 hours. Are you okay, fine? Are you feeling fine? Now people are just praying because they have understood it. And all his prayer is intercession. He said he has a list of all his family members because his family is struggling. They are all broke. He's praying for them. Praying for every church member. Praying for He's now, he has condemned himself to prayer. Do you know what you can do in intercession? It is an effort of prayer. In fact, it is one that the intercession is where the power is. If you want to gain power in God, pray for people. 
That's the next aspect of prayer. Are you following this thing? The next aspect of prayer is meditation. Many don't understand this reality of meditation. Meditation is simply focusing one's thoughts on God. Like a lover. When I fell in love with my wife, I was thinking about her almost every time. Thank you for that tongues. And this is a marriage, marital tongues. It's not, it doesn't save souls. You ponder over God. Look, look, you can get to a place where your prayer becomes meditation. I'm not saying because of that, just go and sit down. That's not what I'm talking about. Let your prayer lead you into that point. Where your prayer becomes a meditative prayer, just thinking of God's love. Some of you, before you realize it's 5 a.m., you are thinking of his love. You woke up out of his love. You will sleep in his love. So let me not match about it. If not, people will focus on that one more. Number 10, praying in the spirit. It's an aspect of prayer. We call it speaking in tongues. I don't have too much time. Let me do this in 15 minutes, then we, we pray and get out of here. Number 11 is submission. It's also an aspect of prayer. Submission. It is actually surrender or yieldedness of heart and mind to God's will. It is the humble giving away of ourselves to God for him to have his way in our life. It's an aspect of prayer so rich. It's rich. Lord, I surrender myself. Jesus did that. He says, not my will, nevertheless, but your will. It's a surrender. It's a consecration. You are surrendering yourself to God. Maybe God has given you an assignment. You can't do it. Tell him, Lord, I surrender myself to you. Not my will, but your will, Lord. Have your way in my life. It's a kind of prayer. An element of prayer that enriches. Now, there are kinds of prayer. I'll be explaining that. But these are elements in prayer. To make your prayer rich. Number 12, a supplication or petition. This is where you start asking God. Supplication means the act of making humble and earnest entreaty for a favor or a strong request from God. Number 13, or, or is it 12 or 13? Any of them. Thanksgiving and blessing. This is a rich ingredient in prayer. Many believers have failed to give it. They don't give thanks again. I'm telling you, giving thanks is a powerful ingredient in prayer. Giving of thanks is a celebration of divine goodness and expression of gratitude. Praise God. It must never lack in a believer's life. In fact, thanksgiving prayer is mentioned more than any aspect of prayer in the New Testament. There are five things to thank God for every time in your prayer life. You're going to see that in Psalm 103, the verse 1 to 5. Please start practicing this. Thanksgiving is an aspect of prayer. So you see that just in one hour prayer, look at all these ingredients you are putting in your prayer. By the time you come out, you, you are perfumed with God's glory. Five areas to thank God in. You're going to see that in Psalm 103, the verse 1. It says, bless the Lord of my soul and forget not what? His benefits. Then he starts stating them. Number one is forgiveness. You have to thank him and bless him for his forgiveness. It must be part of your prayer. Father, I thank you. You must be deliberate. I thank you for, for, your, for your forgiveness over my life. That's number one. Number two, let's do it quickly. Health. Who heals? 
who heals my diseases. So you thank him for your health. Number three, you thank him for deliverance. Number four, you thank him for his loving kindness. Number five, you thank him for provision. Please, when you are starting this, it will be difficult. Look into the book and pray. So you thank him, Father, I thank you for my health. Thank you for forgiving me in Christ Jesus. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for all the provisions. Then you start mentioning each provision one by one. You bless God for the television. You open your fridge. You bless him for the milk. You bless him for the sugar. You don't know. Huh. Be deliberated. You thank him for everything. By the time you realize, you realize that all your problems are over. Praise God. So, thanksgiving. Next, travail in prayer. Travail. People think prayer is always gentle. Lord God Almighty, we, we want to bless your name, Father, because you're such a good God, and we praise your name, Most High God. Continue. A demon will slap you. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Lord God. Lord God. <laughs> you, you don't know when a time may have made their mind to come and disturb you in the house. Praise God. Travel is painful, laborious work. It's a mental and physical toil in the place of living in prayer. Many don't know this, especially those who, you know, people in the gray circle, they're like, prayer is just giving thanks to God for his finished work in Christ. And you know, you don't know these things. You have to travel for church growth. We traveled all night before we started seeing increase in church. Before we started running two services. Traveling, Lord, expand. Lord, grow the church. That one is Lord God. Is kappa kappa. Praise God. Your stubborn members in church is not Lord God. People fighting in church is not Lord God. People not giving in church, they buy pizza and buy for their friends and their friends' friends and tell their waiter to keep the change and give us two CDs. You think it's normal. It's demonic. So that one is not Lord God. It's Kwa. Kwa. The church cannot do much when there is no tight. When there is no money, it's not Lord God. It's Kwa. That one is traveling. There is a bad news in the family. Your father has been taken to emergency. Lord God. You don't know. Look, see. <laughs> you, you don't know. The Bible tells us Jesus traveled in prayer until his sweat became blood. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5, the verse 7, the Bible says that he, he prayed with strong cries and tears. So people mock. So you know, people mock. He says, What you're doing? A thing, a thing, a thing. He said they don't know what they want. Hey, me, I don't know what I want. Don't mind them. It's called travel. It's not mind the Christian faith. It's normal. Then we add bits to it so that we can move the body. 
age travail. Colossians 4, 12 speaks of Epaphras. He says, laboring fervently. Listen, there's a kind of prayer. If you don't pray, your mind will not be there. Haven't you, haven't you prayed and taken of beans? You'll be praying and before you realize, your mind is on, the rice cooker that is on warm. So, you must position yourself in a certain place where you can be able to travel. That one is a, by the time you finish traveling in prayer, your body is aching you. I'll speak to you about generals next week. Generals of prayer. <laughs> Today, I'm laying foundation. That's why I'm cool. Let me just give you a teaser. Apostle Joseph Baba Lola. The, the, man, the man prayed to the standard. One time, the family were about to eat and they said we should come and pray over the food. Beloved, pray and let's eat. Oh, that's what we called you. He, he knelt down, stretched his hands. He prayed one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, ten hours, fifteen hours, twenty hours, twenty hours, thirty hours, thirty-two hours. When he opened his eyes and he, he, he checked, it was morning. And people were going to work and they have changed their clothes. He said, hey. Then he also rose up and went. When I heard it, I said, 32 hours praying over food. See, generals have passed though. Generals have passed. Abel Clary, one great power intercessor. He was oh. about to eat in the evening. After he has prayed, so prayer is worrying him. In Bible he was about to eat, and then he looked at the food, he started weeping. He said, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. You. <laughs> you, in front of fried rice, you are the center of the will of God. And he rose up from the chair and he entered the bedroom and he was crying. Lord, souls, souls, souls. Whoa. Souls, Lord, save them, save them, save them. One, one general called John Welch. The man prayed until he started lying on the ground and praying. And the wife was worried. He says, he says, he says, Welch, get up from the floor. He says, woman. I have 3,000 souls to give an account of and I do not know what their life ends. Allow me. And he went back on the floor and was praying. Hey! And you are going to meet all these generals in heaven. With your Banco Christianity. When I look at this general, I feel unworthy. And you must start feeling unworthy now because, you see, let me just help you. You don't have to go to heaven and know your rewards. <laughs> look at your current life and award yourself. <laughs> I'm serious. Some of you, plastic cap, plastic cap, summer hat, People have traveled for the salvation of souls. Listen, some of us, the revival you are receiving, people prayed it 100 years ago. I'll tell you about Moravian brothers who sold themselves into caves. And they were praying 24 hours every day, seven days a week, for 100 years and over. They stopped working, gave themselves to prayer. 
I'll speak to you next week about a man called Zacharias Tanifomun. I read his book about leader and his God. I, I closed. I said, God, I, I, I don't want to see this book again. The criterion for being a full-time minister is eight hours with God, eight hours for God, and eight hours for yourself. The man said, one hour prayer in the life of a minister is for his personal survival. Your ministry has not If you have a wife, it is one and a half. One and a half hours. If you have children, it is two hours. If you want to make impact in ministry, it starts from three hours every day. He said, if you are not doing this, you are not a full-time minister. You are a full-time minister. I said, Lord, you know, you watch these people and say it's a joke. How can? Well, most of the time, my lowest prayer for the day is five hours. That if I don't want to pray or I'm going out. I'm serious. I'm saying that to encourage you because I was moved by people. I was moved. I, I will stay phone off in the, a car, a tear, praying for people, interceding, praying, God, make us usable. Because this generation, this generation loves food. This generation doesn't love God. This generation has forgotten about God. This generation is relaxed. When our fathers were your age, they were not eating. And you are there. Christ has paid the price. Christ, continue. Would you understand this thing? The apostle who taught us grace, he says he fastings often. He was the one that said pray without ceasing. He tells the, uh, Timothy, he says, day and night, I, I do not cease to pray for you. So apostle Paul was a laborious man in the place of prayer. You know what? You can never bet anything meaningful in life and ministry without prayer. I am telling you, on top of your list, the number one is not your husband. Your list of problems on top. It is not financial problem. It's a relationship problem. I'm telling you, on top of the list of your problems, the first is prayerlessness. That is the first thing you must solve. If you solve prayerlessness on the list, the rest of the problems will start counting out themselves one after the other. Solve it. Resolve yourself to pray. Give yourself to prayer. Someone says, I am busy at work. Listen, the minimum time Jesus gave us for prayer is one hour. If you cannot get to a place where you pray for one hour, I'm telling you, you cannot be a faithful Christian. Jesus told us, pray lest you enter into temptation. That tells us the antidote against temptation is prayer. The reason why we have many Christians who are falling into sin and today they come out is simply because they failed in the place of prayer. I am telling you, if you don't pray, temptation becomes easy to fall into. After Jesus said, watch and pray, then he said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. In other words, when you pray, you, the willingness of your spirit oversees the weakness of your flesh. So one of the things that deals with the flesh is staying in prayer. If you want to check how strong you are, check in prayer. That's why when you, start, you pray, you pray 10 minutes, you are checking your phone, you're checking the time. Oh, you want to It is telling you how weak you are. If you don't solve that problem, I can tell you, it will crash everything about your life. You'll be confused. You'll be depressed. Have you ever seen a man of prayer who is depressed? His maximum number of minutes for depression is three minutes. I'm telling you. See, prayer is a world. Prayer is a market. Who is not there? 
When you go there, you must come with something. I speak in tongues in the Holy Ghost. I received it in a seven-hour prayer. You must pray until something changes about your life. You must stay there consistently. Not you pray today, one week, then you come and pray again. No, that's why you can't gain anything. It must be consistent. So first, prayer must begin as a discipline before it becomes a life. And listen to me. If you want the Holy Spirit to help you in prayer, you must first discipline yourself in prayer. He will help the man who are disciplined. When he sees your effort in making it a prayer, then he comes to help you. That's why he's a helper. He does not do it for you. He helps you to do it. So you must discipline yourself. I will pray. I will pray. Then you start praying. Because see, it's no joke. We are in a warfare. You see, the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. If you are reading the Bible, if you, especially the New Testament, if you want proper standing, read it and let it flow. In Ephesians 6, we speak of spiritual warfare. When it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality. Before he started, he started from Ephesians chapter 5. And he started speaking of husbands, submit to, uh, love your wives, and wives, submit to your husbands. So he spoke about husband, he spoke about wife. In Ephesians 6, 1, he spoke about fathers. Then he spoke about mothers. Then he spoke about children. Obey your parents in the Lord. So he was speaking about family. Then he came to spiritual warfare. So he's saying that any change of behavior in any family member and friend, it is a, actually a spiritual warfare. A demon is causing it. So you must not look at the flesh and blood and fight it physically. You must fight it on your knees. So the spiritual warfare is actually a warfare against relationships. Are you following this thing? That's what Satan wants to do. That's what he has destroyed your relationship between your boss, between your co-workers, between your husband, and, between husband and wife. That's why you have not spoken to your husband for the past five days. It's a warfare. It's the devil. One man fought with the wife and he speak for one week. In fact, one month. And he rose up one night. When he rose up, he saw a very thick, tall demon standing there. He says, what is this? And the Holy Ghost said, you see what you have brought to your house. Many don't know this thing. Every offense is the flesh realm. Anytime the believer is in the flesh, he exposes himself to the devil. Listen carefully. When you give yourself to uncontrolled anger, bitterness, hatred, you are opening the door and you are giving the devil an advantage. So he's saying, don't see people by what they do. See spirits, wickedness, spiritual wickedness, principalities, working through these people to relate to you. So when a man insults you, when he treats you anyhow, go to prayer first before you answer. Because prayer puts your mind in a state of balance. I'm sure that sometimes you want to take a very harsh decision. When you're praying, the Holy Ghost softens your heart. In fact, in that place of prayer, that is the actual result or reply you're supposed to give to the person. You can't get it except you pray. The devil knows what believers can gain in prayer. That is why the greatest activity of the devil is to first stop believers from praying. If the devil stops you from praying, do you know what he has done? He has disconnected you. In the armor of God, he's speaking of spiritual warfare, meaning the Bible is a soldier. A soldier can never function effectively or have victory until he's in constant communication with his boss. That's why they have telephones. Don't throw this missile. Throw this. Move this way. Take this turn. Use the east wind. These instructions they function with. When a soldier loses connection with headquarters, he's in trouble. 
So the Bible is telling us in this warfare, it is in communication with God that we win. If you read about spiritual warfare, the Bible didn't tell us to fight. It says stand. So we wear the armor to stand. So the, the physical soldier dresses to fight. Eh? The spiritual soldier, after mentioning the whole armor, but then he says praying. So after the believer is dressed, he now kneels and prays. That's the war. So the whole armor of God is not to make you look like Iron Man. The armor of God is to make you a praying man. So the whole armor without prayer is a waste. That's why the finished work of Christ is a tool for service, not a toy for playing. There are people who shout, I'm righteous in Christ. Christ has forgiven me past, present, future. And they are fully understand. The Bible says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is your righteousness. As you are serving God, the devil will hit your heart and tell you the sin you committed yesterday. God has not forgiven you. When you put on that breastplate, you remind the devil that I am righteous, not by my works, but by faith in Christ. That's why you put on the armor. And you continue fighting. The helmet of salvation. The devil will bring condemnation to your mind, telling you you are not saved. You, when you put on that helmet, you give assurance to your salvation that I can never lose it because of my faith in Christ Jesus. You put on that armor. When he throws that armor against your mind, he doesn't get you. That's how it works. The shield of faith, the word of God, is a shield. The devil will bombard your mind with thoughts. Last thoughts, Facebook, bad videos that will corrupt your heart. You must block them with the shield of faith. Your faith must constantly be strong. And you grow your faith by the word of God. Prayer is the most important work of the Christian life. If you don't pray, you are exposed. If you don't pray, the devil mocks you. In fact, prayerless Christians and prayerless churches are the devil's workshop. If you are a believer and you don't pray, the devil can use you easily. Check those who destroy churches. First of all, they don't pray. As you pray, God will open your eyes. All the problems going on in the family, you don't pray. Because you think prayer is an option. When you are less busy, you do it. You don't get it. Listen carefully. Let me stay with the notes. After 10 minutes, remind me that we pray and close. Prayer is so much important to God. So much so that God, the Godhead itself has committed to it. Listen carefully. Prayer is so important to God, so much so that the Godhead has committed to it. How? You see, in the Godhead, there's what called division of labor. They work together. In salvation, they didn't work together. How much more prayer? So in salvation, the Father is the source. The Son is the cause. The Holy Ghost is the effect. The Father is the inspiration. The Son is the execution. The Holy Spirit is the transmission. So they work hand in hand. In prayer also, the Godhead commits to it to make the believer pray. How? The Father, first of all, commits to prayer by hearing and answering your prayer. Very important. That's how the Father commits to your prayer. He commits by what? Hearing and 
answering of that. How do I know that? You can see that in Psalm 65, verse 2. He says, Thou that heareth prayer, unto you shall all flesh come. So anytime you are praying, you must know that God hears you. His ears are attentive to the righteous. That's how God commits to prayer. Every prayer by a righteous man, God hears it. Never go to God in prayer thinking that God is not hearing. He hears every prayer. So never be discouraged. Number two, how does the son commit to prayer? He commits to prayer by giving you access through his blood. In Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 18, the Bible says, For through him, for through him, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. It is through Jesus Christ we can come to God in prayer. Never ever think that you are in prayer because you live the holy life in the course of the week. No. It is Jesus who committed to prayer by shedding his blood to give you access. In Hebrews chapter um, 10, you can come there. Hebrews chapter 10, from the verse 19 to 22. Now watch that for yourself so that you can understand how the Godhead commits to prayer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? By what? The blood of Jesus. So, Jesus commits to your prayer by giving you access through his blood. It is through his blood that you access God in prayer. So, we come in his name. Please hear it. We come in his name. To pray in the name of Jesus means you are praying in the stead of Jesus. It is as though Jesus himself is the one praying. You come to Jesus, you come to God today in the authority of the finished work of Christ. So that is how come you must be more humble when you go to God in prayer. Because you, you are not there on your own grounds. You are there on his blood. Through his blood and by his blood. So to the New Testament, no, you see, we don't pray in larger prayers. Because Elijah never prayed in the name of Jesus. Abraham never prayed in the name of Jesus. We now have a new and living way. We pray in his name. In the authority, in the, in the power of atoning, in the stead of Jesus. So, if I am praying, it's as though Jesus is the one asking. And if Jesus is asking, God answers. Are you following this thing? Number three, the Godhead, in the Godhead, the Holy Spirit also commits to prayer. So, how does the Father commit to prayer? By hearing and answering. How does the Son commit to prayer? He's giving us access through his blood. Now, the Holy Spirit commits to prayer by helping us to pray. So, the Holy Spirit is our quickener and our inspirer in prayer. Listen. You cannot pray effectively without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, your prayer will be dead and ineffective. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, you are on your own. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, the verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmity. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. He didn't say we do not know how to pray. You can check that. He says what to pray. Because we all know how to pray. How do we pray? We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. But sometimes what to pray becomes a problem. You know you have to pray for your mother. But what topic? Sometimes you are limited in the place of prayer. You don't know how to go about it. So that's the weakness. 
So he says the spirit helped our infirmity. That, that word infirmity is weakness. Our inability to produce results. That's the word weakness. So what's that inability? It, it is we not knowing what to pray for as we ought to. So he says the spirit helped our infirmity. The word helped is from the Greek word sunantilambanomai. Now, the word sunantilambanoma is from three Greek words. The first one is soon. Soon means together. Next is anti. Anti means against. Next is lambano. Lambano means to lay hold. So, the word sunantilambanoma means to hold with for against your infirmity. So, the Holy Ghost helps us by holding with us for us against our weakness. He helps us. He's the one who holds us in that weakness. So that we can be effective. How? The Bible says that the spirit itself, that's what? He maketh what? Intercession for us with what? Groanings which cannot be uttered. So anytime we pray, what is happening is that the spirit is actually praying for us. The word intercession is a very strange Greek word. The, the Greek word is hupa entichuna. Oh, let me see if I got it right. The Greek word there is hupa entuchano. Hupa entuchano. That word is actually a rescue operation. That, so the intercession there is actually a rescue operation. It's like it connotes the idea of someone who is in a serious situation and cannot help himself. And all of a sudden, someone comes to snatch him and help him. In that weakness, the Holy Ghost comes as a rescue mission. And he comes to rescue us by helping us. How? With groanings which cannot be uttered. The word cannot be uttered. In the classical Greek, it actually means a love secret. Or a love language. You know, lovers have a language that if you are around them, you can't understand. They have a way to communicate. You, you, must be a, you must love that person to understand that language. Are you following? For example, today I'm going to expose one secret to you, but after that, we'll say it again. When my wife and I are talking about something that has got to do with sex, if somebody is around, we don't use the penis. We use pen drive. So we'll be talking about pen drive, and you will think of a machine. Because it is our secret code in love. It's our language. You can't understand. The Bible is saying that the Spirit maketh intercession for us through groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, speaking in tongues is a love secret. That's why you speak in tongues. The devil can't understand. It's a code between you and the Holy Ghost. So, you must keep speaking in the Holy Ghost because when you pray in the Holy Ghost by speaking in tongues, the Holy Ghost is praying for you, praying with you, praying through you, and praying for you. That's what happens at the same time when you're praying in tongues. So the Holy Ghost is the inspirer and the quickener in prayer. There are days you'll be praying about something. All of a sudden, you have another burden to pray for something else. That's how the Holy Spirit helps us. Am I helping somebody? So even the whole Godhead commits to prayer. You must pray. Finally, to end my passion. What are the motivations in prayer? The things that are begin to motivate you to pray. Anytime you see, go and print it and put it in your bedroom. 
anytime you remember this, hey, I pray. It's going to guide you. Number one, prayer must be treated as breath. First Thessalonians 5, 17, it says pray without ceasing. We do not cease to breathe. So the Bible says pray without ceasing. It's telling us prayer is the breath of the soul. So anytime you have not prayed for two days, what does it mean? You have not breathed for two days. That should alarm you. When a man does not breathe, three things happen to him. Number one is inactivity. Number two is death. Number three is decay. When you don't pray, what is going to happen to you is that you are going to be inactive in the spirit. You are going to kill your spiritual life and you decay. So anytime you remember you have not prayed, what, what has happened to you? You are not breathing. You, you are in spiritual coma. Please, are you following this thing? Quickly, let's do the second one. Number two, treat prayer as incense. In Revelation chapter 8, from the verse 3 to 5, the Bible tells us the angels took senses and they mixed it with incense. That is the prayer of the saints. And the smoke which came after of it, they mixed it and it came down as, as voices, as thunder, as lightning, and as earthquake. Anytime you pray, you must remember that you are burning incense. It was part of the Jewish priest. You are supposed to burn incense. If you have not prayed, you must remember that what? You have not burnt incense. So there is no order in heaven. And remember, before that earthquake and voice and thunder came down, what came up? What came up? What came up? Incense, which is what? Prayer. Look, look whatever goes up must come. There is the law of gravity in prayer. If you have not offered anything up, don't expect anything. It's a spiritual law of gravity in the spirit concerning prayer. There are many of you who have not offered any single thing, but you are expecting things to come down. Quickly, number three, treat prayer as an altar. That must ever be burning. In Leviticus chapter 6, from the verse 8 to 13, the Bible tells us that fire must never go out. So treat prayer as fire in your life. When you stop praying, your fire has come down. Any day you don't pray, your fire, the fire on your altar has come down. It's soon going to become ashes. There are many of you, you have a very powerful prayer life. Now your prayer life has become an altar full of ashes. It's back again. Number four, treat prayer as friendship with God. It's a love affair that must be nurtured and maintained. So prayer is friendship. Prayer is a walk with God. Anytime you have not prayed, remember you have not communicated with your lover, with your friend. When you fall in love with somebody, you are always communicating. So do not pray me in love with God. Simple. Number five, treat prayer as a powerhouse or as a fuel station. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Prayer is the place of renewal. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. If you want to fly, wait. They shall walk and not be weary. You are weary because you don't pray. You are burning fuel, yet you are not feeling fuel. Feeling fuel must be constant. When we pray, we come to the fuel station of heaven to be refueled. Because the Christian life is lived by energy and fuel. So prayer is a powerhouse. We go there to get energy. 
to generate a pure Christian life. Number six, treat prayer as a home of rest and refreshment. If you have not prayed, you have not gone home. Some of you are spiritual truants. Spiritual cobolos. You have gone out, you have never come back. So if you have not prayed, you are not home. These things should motivate you to pray. Number seven, treat prayer as a spiritual gym. Jude 20, the Bible says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. So prayer is spiritual gyming. When you gym, you burn calories. It is not easy to start a gym. The first two days, you feel pain in your body. That's the discipline of prayer. Telling us prayer is a discipline, so you feel pain. But it's a gym, so you've got to keep doing it before you experience or realize strength. The strength you have is not in your size. It's in your, it's in your capacity in the spirit. And when you pray, you build that capacity. It's your spiritual gym. Listen, anybody who gyms who has body has appetite for food. The reason you don't have appetite for the word of God is because you don't pray. The word of God will never edify a prayerless heart. You will have more love to read your Bible when you spend more time in prayer. So treat it as a gym where you go and strengthen yourself and spiritual calories. Number nine, quickly. Number eight, treat prayer as a ministry, as work and service, as work. As ministry. It's your ministry. Monday mornings, nobody wants to go to work, but you go. So irrespective of how you feel, you still go to work. Why? Because your salary for survival, for taking care of your family, is on it. If you want to eat, you go. If you want your family to survive, you go. So if you know prayer is a ministry, you know your whole family and you yourself depend on it. You depend on prayer to keep your family moving. To keep your life moving. So it's a ministry and a work. So whether you feel like it or not, prayer is duty. Am I helping you? See, these are things that change me. Number nine, treat prayer as a supply of the spirit. In Ephesians, in Philippians 1.19, the Bible tells us, supplying the spirit. That this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Anytime you pray, you are supplying something. When you pray for someone, you are supplying the Spirit to the person. So every believer must treat prayer as a spiritual distributor. You are a spiritual distributor. The day you don't pray, you did not distribute. You are a wholesale distributor. Number, two, number 11, or number 10, treat prayer as a shelter and a tower of refuge. That's where we hide under God's protection. A believer who prays is under heavenly security. You don't die like that. A believer who does not pray is exposed. Quickly, number 11, treat prayer as a bank. What do you do in a bank? You deposit. You save. You withdraw. And you do inquiries in a bank. That means prayer is a spiritual transaction. That is where we do business with God. When you are praying, you are depositing. You are redrawing. When you are praying, you are investing. So it's a spiritual transaction you are doing. So all our riches and our resources are founded in prayer. Number 12, treat prayer as a thermostat and a thermometer. They are not the same. Yet they represent prayer. A thermometer measures the temperature of a room. So your prayer life measures 
your spiritual temperature. If I want to know how healthy you are, I check it by your prayer life. If you don't pray, you are sick. You are healthy if your prayer life is vibrant. So, a thermometer measures temperature. A thermostat regulates temperature. Prayer is how you regulate your spiritual life. In other words, if your spiritual life is low, there's a solution. Turn it on. Increase it. So, your prayer life must be treated as a thermostat. You can regulate your spiritual life. The more you pray, the more you increase. The more you don't pray, the more you decrease. So, little prayer, little power. More prayer, more power. It's a a thermostat. Number 13, treat prayer as a battle engagement. You are powerless in standing before the devil without prayer. The devil fears men of prayer, not men of preaching. You claim to preach on Google. You cannot pray Google. If you want to be a man of power and strength to, to deal with the devil, pray. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It is in the place of prayer. Me, I love teaching you because that's where I establish things. If I can teach you, I've solved 80% of my problem and your problem. Praise God. How many people can I prophesy to? If I teach you, I empower you. Prayer is how you win your battles. The devil is no match for you when you're a man of prayer. He can't scare you. You gain strength in the place of prayer to deal with the devil. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? I remember years ago when I was not fasting and praying, we were casting out devils in uh, uh, my spiritual father's church. The demon was a stubborn demon. We used seven hours. And when we finished, we thought to God, the the demon was like, "Ah." so we thought, oh, Father, we thank you. When we were leaving and the demon rose up, I said, okay, I send a call. And we said, hey. When A.A. Allen appears in a meeting, he does not cast demons. When they see him, they flee. You, when the demons see you, they want to embrace you. What is wrong with you? You don't pray, no power. The devil will play with you. You have a dream. Before you realize, you are eating uh, uh, okra. An antelope is seeing you. Lion is chasing you. That small room is a zoo. I'm telling you, if you pray, you solve 98% of your problems. I'm telling you. Pray. There are some things you just pray. When you begin praying, though, if you are here and a so-called demon has been sleeping with you, eh, at night, no, 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 no. We have done everything we have to do. It's not going. Start, pray two hours every day. Fast three times a week from six to six. I'm giving you two to vanish. It's a prescription. It works everywhere. I'm teaching good. Finally, treat prayer as a school. I have not even touched on my teaching. Prayer is an education of the spirit. If you miss prayer, you have missed a class. Prayer is where we have spiritual education. There, there is a wisdom you receive in prayer. You can never receive it anywhere. Am I teaching good? It was in prayer God said I should sow my rent as a seed to a man of God. When I sold 
the rent. In fact, I called the man of God and said, man of God, the Lord said I should give you my rent. He said, okay. I said, please, where are you? He said, I'm not around. I said, when can I see you? I have to do it today. He said, I can't be in the office. I said, what should I do? He said, send Momo. I said, big man, open Momo. I looked for every place to send that Momo because it's huge. When I was going, I was afraid. I said, God, am I doing this? I hear you. Because they are on fire. They will sack me from the house. Lord. So I couldn't get a place. I was trying to convince myself. In fact, when the Lord said I should sow the seed, the man is a very, like, he's a very popular man of God. And you can't call those people and they'll pick up. So I said, Lord, if he doesn't pick up, it is not your will. When I called, he picked up. I said, Jesu. So when I started looking for the place, I didn't get it. I said, Daddy, please. I didn't find a place. He said, keep looking. I looked before I found a place. And I sent the money. When I sent the money, the money went. And I, I said, and he was praying for me. When he was praying for me, I was weeping. He thought I was under the power of God. <laughs> I was crying. He says, your tears are over, young man. Your tears are over. I said, man of God, I reward me. Do what it. Hey, when I finish, I have not told my wife. I have three weeks to pay rent. When she came in the house, I was quiet. She thought I was in the spirit. Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. Before the three weeks, I received 18,000 Ghana cedis. Is it normal? It's not normal. Last week I was there, somebody bought one expensive couch, expensive couch to put in my hall. If you want the old couch, see me after church. Very expensive gift. Take it. I said, hey. You see, God wanted to furnish my house and take me to a bigger place. But the only way he could use it was to make me give out that money. But I got it in a place of prayer. When you pray, you bypass all the processes and the systems and life becomes easier. Life becomes a dead man. It is, prayer makes obedience easy. Like I'm telling you, obedience becomes easy. Life becomes a dead match. Have you ever watched a dead match before? Have you watched a dead match with somebody who never watched it? I did the same. The experience is the same. You have watched Ghana with Brazil. Ghana won by 2-1. And you're watching it again with somebody, let's say your wife, who has not watched it. Okay? You have watched it already. Then, Ghana is going to score. And your wife is like, hey, hey, I'm watching Ghana. Go! Hey, ah! You know how you're going to behave? You're like, don't. It's 2-1. And Ghana, Ghana lose by one nail. And it's 80th minute. It's like, <laughs> Ghana, will you win? You're like, ah. Mommy, cry. It's 2-1. She doesn't know. And Ghana equalizes. Yeah, go! Ah. You have watched the match already. That's why your behavior has changed. So, at the 91st minute, Ghana was going, uh, as a manager, this time he didn't miss the penalty. He was going like that, bang. And you're like, Jesus, 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 win. And Ghana wins. And like, go! And she's jumping, jumping. And she brings you more. And you're like, ah. <laughs> How do you feel? That much, though. So, anything going on in the match doesn't protect you. Why? Because you have watched it. You watch your life in the spirit when you pray. 
So, you don't panic. Why? You have seen it already. You know at the end of the day, it's one thing. It's called glory. So fear. So you have confidence. Men of prayer are men of confidence. Check every man of prayer. They don't fear. They can take risks. In fact, we came here. This place we are paying, including we are paying 20,000 Ghana cities. Small church. How do we pay? We came here by faith and prayer. And we'll, because you will pay. So they don't fear. You, men of prayer are, are risk takers. They see their end in God. Because God will see to them by revelation. You become a man of vision in a place of prayer. Please, I want to plead with you. Give yourself to prayer. Can you rise up on your feet?